Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And I just went over on whistle and I went, if you think you can do a better job, there's the whistle. And he went, no, 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 I didn't mean it like that. I said, well, stop now then. Hey, hey, how are you? And welcome back to Outside the Box. This is the brand new podcast all about women in sport. It's Becky Ives hanging out with you and we're back with my next guest to share stories. We're going to offer help and advice to anyone thinking of wanting to get into working in sport. We're going to play a few games and just find out how my guests have got to where they have today. Now, joining me today is someone who intentionally or unintentionally, we're going to find out, has seriously made some waves over the years. She's pushed the boundaries and just completely shattered the mold. And I'm so happy that she said yes to appearing on this podcast today. So let's welcome football match official Sean Massey Ellis is here. (laughs) Thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. It's nice to be involved in something extra football related. Oh, honestly, I can't thank you enough for coming on this podcast because like being a female match official working across both men's and the women's game at the very top level out of all the guests that I've had on this podcast. um, And I've had some great guests that are at the top of their game, just like you. You are definitely in the role that we firstly know least about, I have to say. And secondly, definitely has the least females working at the very top level. Yeah, there's not very many of us are there. There's really, really not. So I'm so excited to shine a light on it and sort of get your thoughts, opinions on all sorts today. So let's just start with which leagues you currently do work across. So domestically, so here in England, um, I work mainly on the Premier League uh, as an assistant referee, but also work on the Women's Super League as an assistant referee as well, a league that I've done both roles as a referee and assistant referee on. So um, I just currently, though, I've chosen the pathway to be an, a specialist assistant. So not pe- many people know. They kind of think, oh, you're just an assistant until you become a referee. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, it's not it's not like that you choose to be a referee or an assistant referee. Um, so I chose around about when my daughter was born. So about five years ago, just to concentrate on being an assistant referee rather than referee. So now I just assistant referee on, on both of those leagues mainly. Interesting. That is true. I don't think people realize you're right. I think people always assume that you're in waiting because the referee would appear to be the top, top job. Um, But why did you choose assistant referee? I think it's a little bit more black and white than being a referee. Because I think sometimes, especially like critics, they can look at a referee's decision and think, oh, have they got right? Have they got it wrong? Whereas I think that being an assistant referee is quite a specific role. So offsides is kind of black and white. He's either an inch offside or he's not. And I quite like that about it. I can be quite specific. And just the way my pathway kind of went... Um, I'd got to the top as an assistant and I was still not only a referee on conference north and south level. Um, That's the kind of league that I got to as a referee. And I had to be a little bit realistic with myself that, you know, I was pushing on 30. I was looking at the fact that it would take me probably at least another four years to get to the Premier League as a referee. And I'd have to go league by league. Um, And that's quite tough to, to do, really. So I kind of was a little bit of realism in terms of, I needed to make a decision whether I thought I was good enough to be a referee on the Premier League and the fact that I loved being on the line. I think if I could have done both for a little bit longer, I probably would have. Um, But when they made our job full time, they kind of said you need to choose. It was a difficult decision, don't get me wrong, because I love refereeing as well. And it is a different job. Um, And a lot of people don't think that You're, you're an official applying the laws of the game on a match. So it should be the same. But they are really role specific. You know, referees have to move in a different way around the pitch. They have to decide more on fouls, whereas ours is more balling out of play and off sides, although we do give input on fouls. And I think it's a lot more specific and I quite like that about it, it being kind of more black and white. And in terms of now, you work on a weekly basis and you get allocated games. How does the allocation of games work? Do you get it weekly, monthly? I mean, 
I take it you have, they allocate the games to you rather than you be like, you know, I'm going out Saturday night. It would really help me if I could be in that general location oh, on a weekend. Imagine, well, actually, I want that local derby this week. Um, <laughs> I wish it were like that. Um, no, we get appointed to the games um, and we work in teams as well. So the games, um, again, probably a lot of people don't know this, but games are really appointed on merit as well. So every game you're assessed. So you have um, an ex-referee who will sit and watch the footage of every game that you do and they assess every decision that you make. So every throw in, every offside, every foul. Um, and it's rate, rated then whether it's an easy decision, a difficult decision or non-routine decision. And then it's rated um, whereabouts on the pitch it is. So you effectively lose or gain points depending on how, you know, an attacking third throw in wrong is worth you get more points lost than you would on a defensive throwing wrong kind of thing because it kind of means less to the game, if that makes sense. Um, but every decision is evaluated. Then you get effectively at, um, at a percentage mark on your game. So then you're put into like a merit table, a league table for officials, basically. So there's, what, 26 of us on the Premier League assistant. So we're then put into a merit table. So your games will be appointed on where you are in that merit table. Also, they don't like to make us do um, the same teams week in, week out. So that kind of goes into it as well. Also, we work in teams with a referee and another assistant where they try to keep us together. Um, so I work a lot with uh, a referee called Cav and I do most of my games with him. So we've kind of established a little team um, and we work well together because I don't think people know that how much you have to trust each other as part of a team. Like, So when somebody tells you something about a decision, you, you kind of have to trust that they're t- telling you the right information, they're giving you the right information. Um, so we kind of work well together. And so that kind of goes in combination and how well you're performing as a team. So a bit like, a, you know, a, f- a football team. Yeah. So, you know, with Liverpool performing really well this year, they've won the league. So if we're performing well as a team, we go up in that merit table, our kind of combined merit table position will get us the best game. So you're always kind of looking at your top of the table clashes, your Super Sunday games, your local derby games, something with, you know, like we call them six pointers, you know, that kind of, yeah. And when the fixtures come out, so we're appointed uh, fixtures on normally a Monday lunchtime. Um, sometimes if there's a Monday night game, they're on a Tuesday lunchtime. Um, so before the games, then for that following Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So kind of five, six days in advance, the appointments come. So it's literally like, you know what time they're coming out and you've got your phone and you're like, where am I? Where am I this week? You know, it's like excitement every week. So yeah, that's kind of how we get appointed really. That's so interesting. I had no idea about that. And so you feel like you're constantly under review every yeah. single week. Yeah. And do you you obviously get that feedback every single week? Say for example, a normal Saturday game, the evaluation and all the footage comes straight. The footage comes straight through normally by a Saturday night, straight Sunday morning. So you have the whole game. Um, you can watch back straight away. And then normally by a Monday, we'll have the evaluator will have evaluated every decision. Um, so sometimes even the referee and the assistant are included in one decision. So say, for example, a corner and they'll ask who gave this decision. And you could say, oh, I said it was a corner. Referee said it was a goal kick. We went with goal kick, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. You can, don't realize this happens over the comms, but we do disagree on things over the comms because sometimes you see something and the referee might see something else. Um, obviously, most of the time you want to be getting it the same. So normally, you know, it's throw-ins, you'll go, I'll say red, referee will say red, we'll go red. So, you know, it's kind of like that kind of decision. And sometimes I'll say red, he'll say blue, and he's a lot closer. Or actually, I've said, no, it's got another touch on the way through, it's red or whatever. Um, and that tends to be the way kind of it goes. So then we have to input that into the evaluation. And then it goes off to standardization. So if there's anything that is really difficult decision, and the evaluator has said it's correct or incorrect, um, then it goes to panel. So any really difficult offside decisions where the, the evaluator has said it's correct, it will go to like a either a three or a five man panel and they'll decide then they'll go with the tariff, as we call it, whether it's an easy decision or a hard decision. So again, different points waiting and they'll decide whether you've got it right or wrong by a fraction or, you know, it's a centimeter offside. So it's wrong or that kind of thing. Um, and then you'll get your merit table position is live. So you can constantly know where you are in that band of officials really I feel like we've been speaking for about 10 minutes and I feel like I've just learned a whole new world (laughs) of what it involves to be a match official because I think a lot of people at these games do not realize what goes into this because 
I mean, let's face it, you can only ever please half a stadium of people with whatever decisions you make, isn't it? Isn't that fair to say? I think so, yeah, with your rose-tinted glasses on, as we call them, when you're a spectator. I mean, I know as as a fan myself, when you sit there, you want it to be your decision. You know, Mm. you want it to go for you, and that's just a natural way. That's the best way fans can be, I think, for their team. So, yeah, you can never please half the stadium. But to be honest, I mean, I don't think our job is the type that you're trying to get pleased from people. Kind of thing. No, you're not doing this to make friends, I don't <laughs> no, think. Really. Phenomenal. Well, let's talk about where the idea for you personally came from uh, to end up being a match official. And I say an idea, like I have no idea how your journey began with this. So when you were growing up as a girl in Coventry, you love football. Did you play it? Was it a family thing? Like, how did you get into this role? in sport and football in the first place? It's a bit of a strange one, really, because as a 14-year-old girl, I don't think you ever think, oh, I want to be a Premier League assistant referee as a full-time job. That was never mm. the aim. Um, I wanted a paper round at 14 because I wanted some pocket money. Um, yeah. My dad said that I'm a lazy bum and I wouldn't <laughs> get out of bed to do a paper <laughs> round, and he was completely right. Um, he said, well, why don't you be a referee? I was really sporty, so I played everything I could at school. I played netball, hockey, cricket, rounders, football, everything there was to play, I was there. You know, I was the one that was always in the PE department at before school, during school and after school. I just loved it. I loved that team ethos. I, I loved playing sport. And he said, well, why don't you referee? And I was like, well, can I? Was my actual first reaction. Because to be honest, never seen a girl referee. Yeah, was there no- anyone at that point that you knew of that did it? No, well, not any girls specifically until I started to get into knowing what referees did and actually looking at referees on a pitch. Then I knew there were a few around. Um, But at that point, I only knew my dad because my dad was a referee. And I'd been to watch a few of his games where he refereed. He used to referee kind of semi-professional football. So he refereed, but that's all I knew of it. And I went and I was like, go on then, I might as well. And he's like, well, you can earn like 20 quid for an hour on a Sunday morning. You do that instead of doing a paper round every morning. I was like, oh, I'll give that a try. At 14, so, you're like, I'll yeah, take that. Yeah, definitely. And I was work. I can work the maths. That's a lot better. Um, <laughs> so I went to, it was based back then, and it's changed so much since when I took the course, because that shows how old I am. But I was in a working men's club in Coventry, and there was probably 20, and I'm going to say it, older men, all the likes that probably stood on their son's football pitch at the side and thought they could do a better job kind of people. That was the, that was the group that I, I sat with. And I was useless. I didn't actually really, I didn't realise it was just going to be studying. I wanted to run around and blow a whistle. I didn't want to be sat, you know, in a, in a club learning the laws. So when it was a bit of like an exam, really, you had to learn the laws. I was there for about, I think it was 10 weeks. I'm not entirely sure, something like that. On a Monday night for two hours in this working men's club, just learning the laws of the game. And then you come to a, you had to do a test at the end to see whether you passed or not. And then you got to be a referee. Completely different now. It's a lot more practice-based. So you become a referee by, yes, you have to learn the laws, but you do a lot of practical stuff. So they have you actually on the pitch for a lot of the lessons, kind of, you know, blowing a whistle, holding a flag, that kind of thing. Because then when I first went to do my first game, I had not got a clue. Um, I honestly I did not know what I was doing um, you just thought I'm gonna turn up here and give this a go yeah really so I had all the kit but I hadn't got a clue what to do with it so oh, is that all the gear no idea yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, I had one Premier League assistant who was a family friend on one line and my dad on the other um, they waved the flag and I blew the whistle that was as far as it went <laughs> so they pretty much did half a pitch each good job it was like under 11s you know that kind of football and I think that's when now I look back and I think I'm really really passionate about the fact that you've got to create that sporting environment to encourage more referees at that level because I think it would have been really easy for me to quit at that point because if I'd have got a lot of abuse I think at that level I'd have gone forget this but you know I had the support there with my dad in particular and actually the youth league around Coventry was really supportive in terms of your youth referees and me being a female you know, they wanted to encourage me to learn. And I kind of learned by what they flagged for that. Ah, that's what foul is. I know now I'm going to blow my whistle next time. So I kind of learned by practice. You kind of just things, stupid things like pointing in the air one way or the other. You have to learn all of them things, which are real mm. basic tools, really. And as a 14-year-old girl, and I'm, I'm only short, I'm little. How tall are you? Yeah, I, five foot two, something like oh. that. I'm really short. Um, 
and I think I could say five, two and a half, maybe to make myself sound taller. Um, but I'm definitely short. And I think um, just my communication, I really had to learn how to communicate. And that really helped me in life as well, to be honest. That is absolutely fascinating. So then how did you progress and take this into a professional capacity? Well, never really intended on it ever being a job or a full-time. I never really even at that point thought, well, I could be on the Premier League. Um, it just kind of got one league at a time. I, I like, like I said earlier about you want the local derbies, you want the big, you want the cup games, you want, you know, that you want to get to the finals and things like that. And I think my passion for that, to want to be good at something kind of made me progress. So I kind of went through the youth leagues, then started refereeing kind of under 16 football, then to under 18 football, and then into men's football. There wasn't really so much of a pathway for women's football as there is now. So I did referee some women and girls football. So I used to referee up Coventry Girls Academy under 16s on a Sunday. And I used to referee men's football on a Saturday once I started doing open age. Um, And then just kind of went through in that respect, really. And like I said earlier, even the merit table is... Slightly different because you're assessed by a person who's at the ground when you're coming through grassroots football. But it's the same the same way, really. You have to get a decent score to finish at the top of the table to get promoted. So it's league by league, really. And then you go into kind of more semi-professional football. And then I got promoted to referee on the West Midlands League. Then I went from the West Midlands League to Southern League mainly. And then Southern League into Conference North and South. And then I went up as an assistant separately. Um, so just like year by year, I was quite lucky, really, that I kind of went quite quickly. Every year, I pretty much got promoted. So lots of people, it doesn't happen like that too. Do you know what percentage of the top people sort of get through? How many of you went through? So I know that when you go to Contrib, there was a list of about 300 referees. And I think they took 11 went the year that I got wow. promoted. It's really difficult to get promoted, really, because there's so many of you fighting for them places. And obviously, know, because- relegation as well. Fortunately, I haven't had to go through that. But if you finish then kind of at the bottom, you have to be kind of kicked off and then you have to go back down a league. Yeah, because you make it sound like, oh, yeah, I just progressed and progressed. But let's not underestimate. This was tough. It was hard work. You had to be fully committed to what you were doing. But you're just clearly the best in your field that you always finished in that top percentage. Oh, thank you. I, I worked hard. I'm a bit of a stickler for like, why? What could I have done differently to get that decision right? And I think that helps. I think that helped me go through the ranks. And in that top percentage, as you were moving up, were you moving up purely with men? Yeah, mainly. Um, there was a few other girls on the leagues, but not not many. I know that when I got to um, Conference North and South, there was another girl on the Conference North and South as well. And on the Football League, there was Amy. I'm sure that she was running the line at the same time as me on the Football League. But there was only ever one or two of us. There was never, there was never many. Um, there's, I think there's a few more coming through now. It's, it is changing. We've just had another girl promoted to our second division, Natalie. So I'm really yes, happy for her. She's just got, nice. Yeah, she's just got the call up for the championship next year. So yeah, we're getting there. The system is in place and the system is working. Uh, but we'll chat about that a little bit more later on. But how do you feel about other females looking up to you and being like, oh, I really want to be like that. How do I do that? Do, are you proud to be that person? Are you comfortable being that person sort of leading the charge for females in this role? I think if the girls look up to me and think that they can do it because they know that I'm there and I've done it already, then that can only be a good thing. I don't really like to call myself a role model. I'm just there doing my job. Um, And if it shows to other girls that they can make it, then, you know, that's a great thing too. And yeah, there are more girls coming through. It just shows that you can do it. And apart from when you were 14 thinking, oh, I could have easily just quit and give up now because it got a bit tough. Was there any other moments during your career where you did think, this is this is tough? Is this definitely where I'm going to keep going? Yeah, there's a, couple, there's a couple of times. To be fair, I'd already made it to the Premier League when there was one of my most challenging moments, I would say. The birth of my daughter five years ago. So I, um, I had her and was fully hoping, yep, I'll be back. So, you know, I went running. I think it was like, three or four weeks after I'd given birth because I wanted to get straight back out to football. And um, I was like, this is not happening without going into too many details as female. Um, <laughs> went to the doctor and they basically said, no, you won't be able to do any sport again. Well, I was like, well, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to be giving up a career that I've worked so hard for and that I love just because I, I'm not allowed to train anymore. This is not going to happen. So um, I got referred to a couple of of doctors and all said the same so I was like right 
This So then at this point, it's taking me longer and longer to get back onto the pitch. Bearing in mind, I've already had nearly a year out being pregnant. Um, then went to a specialist through the Football Association, worked with the female athletes and actually gave me quite a simple tool that I did that made me get back to training. But for, I would say, six months after I gave birth was the hardest six months ever because I was wanting to train something that I'd already done all my life been sporty going for runs you know that kind of thing being active being told that I couldn't do it was a really really difficult thing for me so I had a lot of family support you know and a lot of support from the Premier League and our bosses at the Premier League have been were absolutely fantastic you know some of the lads that I worked with were like you know you'll get there and a lot of support um, and trying to find out doctors that I could see that could get me back on the pitch um, was you know fantastic and then so I think again if it felt like a real big hurdle that I managed to do to get back through the fitness test then when I'd had nearly a year and a half out of football other challenges really tie in with that is fitness for me Um, I have to work really really hard because I have to pass a men's fitness test and I wouldn't have it any other way if I want to be on a men's league I pass the men's fitness test and just talk us a little bit about what that entails what what do you have to do to pass these tests so it's three mini tests all at the same time so one after another you go to the track and you're there they set up timing gates, so speed gates to actually time you per the second. So it's not just on stopwatch. It's really, really specific. You, um, so we have to do what's called a coder test, which is like a bit of a sideways out, sideways back sprint kind of test. It's hard to describe. Um, and there's time limits for that. I think it's 10.9 seconds. You put me on the spot now. I can't remember what they are. Um, and that's, that's test one. A bit of a sideways movement because obviously that's what we do in a game. Um, the second test is five 30 meter sprints. Um, so again, through the timing gates, they're just straight, but you only have 30 seconds then till you have to turn around and do the next sprint. So you have to do five of them consecutively. And again, they all have to be under. You get one chance to effectively fail it. So you slip because the track's wet. You do get one other chance. But if you fail two, then that's it. Test over. Um, so that's part two of the test. Then part three of the test is 10 laps of the track, um, split up a bit like, the only thing I can say, it's a bit like a bleep test. So it doesn't get faster, but it's you have to be at the next stage by the next beep. So a 75-meter run in 15 seconds, followed by a 25-meter fast walk, I would say. And then that time varies whether you're a referee or an assistant referee. So at the moment, our test is 15 seconds for the run, 20 seconds for the walk. And that is... Um, you obviously have to do four of them in one lap times 10 laps. So um, again, you get one warning. So if you're not in the box by the beep, then you you get a warning. And then if you fail twice, then you're out. So I feel like I'm exhausted listening to that. That is incredible yeah, that that's the sort of standard you have to go. And fair play to you for getting back because obviously, yeah, you're a mum as well. Let's just put that first. That's probably more important than being a ref- like an assistant referee as well. So to get back from having a baby, fighting against the odds you have got an incredible never say die attitude to things haven't you yeah I think I am a little bit like that and a little bit when somebody says you can't do that a little bit I think why not you know that's kind of my oh well I'll give it a go well it's got you far it's got you far now listen um Sean throughout this podcast we're going to play a couple of games oh no and I (laughs) how competitive are you as a person yourself you just said if someone says they can't then you do it yeah I am um I've Put me in a quiz though and I'm rubbish. Put me on a track <laughs> and I've got a sprint against somebody, I'm there. Okay, well, let's see how we go with this. So this first one, the reason I did it is because we all love sports. Sport has competition. Yeah. So on my leaderboard at the minute, we've got Alicia Ferguson, ex-pro, up at the top. She's actually joint top with football agent Georgie Hodge. They've both got 27 points. So that's your aim oh throughout this podcast to collect that many points. But the first thing we're going to do, um, it's going to be worth five points. And I am going to show you a clip. And I want you to just have a quick look at it. And tell me, well, see if you recognize from where it's from, firstly. And then sort of let's just talk around that moment of the clip, your thoughts, feelings and emotions. And what did this moment mean to you? Van Bommel bij Bayern speelde. Eigenlijk constant geblesseerd was, maar ze konden het zeer goed met elkaar vinden. Do you recognize that moment? Yes, definitely remember that moment. 
Where's it from? I think the um, audio on that might give us a clue because I'm sorry that there was like Dutch over the top of it. It's the only footage I could find of it, which was annoying. But tell me what it was. Uh, My first European men's game. So I was at PSV. Um, Yeah, so I definitely remember that moment. Probably, I would say, one of the biggest moments in my career. Something that I really, really wanted to do for a number of years. Wanted to do a men's international game, yeah. And the call came. How did the call come about? You just get a normal text message, like an international appointment. Um, Stop. You get what? a text message to referee something like that? Well, it's like an official appointment. So, you, well, you have to, you get a message to say, are you available on these dates? And you kind of know that that is an appointment then. And then it comes out the the email because obviously everything's really confidential. So it has to be like pretty, you know, individual and, and you know data protection all that kind of thing um, yeah. confidential and then um me and the referee that I was working with again the one that I said earlier that I work quite a lot with Cav me and him were ringing each other at the same time because obviously he knew how important it was for me so he'd obviously had his message at the same time as me and then the, the followed up email so we were ringing each other like ah! I remember screaming down the phone at him and he was <laughs> like yeah we've got one you know like eventually so you don't know at that point where you're going. You just know the name of the competition and what dates you'll be officiating. So kind of straight away, you're on the computer like, what game could it be? And you go, oh, I don't think it'll be that one because that's really far away. Or I don't think it'll be that one because, you know, that's in, especially because. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We kind of come through European stuff together and he's been, you know, so it was his first group stage game as well. So it's a big game for him, not only for me. And you kind of look and getting all excited about where could it be? What game could it be? That kind of thing. What's on it? Again, you know, we always fight for these kind of games. So yeah, a, a real, I, I remember sitting in the car on the phone to him, like screaming at him. You know, he thinks I'm crazy, but yeah, a great, great time really. And then, yeah, you stepped out in that lineup there, PSV versus Lask. Do you, do you remember feeling nervous at all? Do you get nervous before a game or is yeah, this... Yeah, no, I do get nervous. Yeah, um, definitely nervous because you want to get everything right. So it's like you don't... And a little bit in me, I feel like because people are giving me these opportunities that I've got to prove that I deserve them, if that makes sense. So I'm like, well, I've got to do it for all these people. I mean, especially Cav um, as my referee... You know, he's really fought for me as well to be kind of like, no, I want to take Sean on my international games, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, I've got to do, I cannot let him down in this big stage by getting an offside call wrong that leads to a goal or something like that. You know, you've got to be. So I think it's more, I get nervous because I want to get everything right. So I'm so focused. I'm not really nervous about the stadiums or or anything like that, and not specifically decisions, but I'm, I just want to get everything right. And I, f- I feel a bit like everyone says, well, when, when your first decisions come and gone, you'll feel a lot better. And I always do, whether it be a throw-in or an offside, once you've kind of like made that decision, you kind of feel like you're in the game. Um, and yeah. you communicate so much on the comms set that w- there's literally never a quiet moment, really. Um, people don't realise, I don't think, how much we talk on every decision, the, obviously the four of us. So it gets kind of quite you can't really concentrate on anything else. Then you have to focus on giving each other the information you need to make the decisions. Yeah, once that moment's over, I think then I kind of relax a little bit. Fabulous. Do you have a favourite game that you've ever officiated? Oh, that's got to be one. Um, I hope everyone asks me this and I'm like, well, there's so many at different points in my career. And I always look back, I mean, my first, my first football league game, Hereford Port Vale, 
I always look back at that. And I think that was like my first game on the football league. You know, I've made it into professional football. That was like a real big thing for me. And I'll never forget that moment. I had a real tough goal line decision to make before we had goal line technology and got that right. Um, so I always remember that game specifically. And then I always remember my first Premier League game, Sunderland Blackpool. So I kind of always like, I re- think I remember things at a certain step. I remember going yes. to um, to Frankfurt to do my first women's international Champions League game. Um, so I think it, steps in my career, I kind of remember, but I don't, the, the rest in between is all a little bit of a fog. <laughs> Well, you just mentioned there the before goal line technology you were doing this because you've been professional now for what since 2009 you turned so we're talking 11 years now yeah. so it's been a long road to get to this path um how much has the game changed since you started to where it is now in terms of everything from the pace of the game the skill of the game to the technology in the yeah, game yeah everything I mean everything changes and adapts and I mean like the laws change every year there's a little bit of a tweak here and there um you know so I think it's adapting to that all the time so yeah I think that the pace of football is quicker so our fitness has to be quicker with it um, the tactical awareness of players and the ability to move the ball so quickly has improved. Um, also, I think it's not only the Premier League that's improved. I think the EFL, the quality of all football has really improved. And then women's football as well. There's a huge, huge difference in women's football with the professionalism in women's football. I think that's a bigger, I've seen a bigger growth probably in women's football since I started doing women's football. I suppose littler changes, but still changes in men's football. Um, I suppose like even the media and the, the amount of cameras that are on every game, you know, it used, you know, you used to have probably five cameras. Now you're looking at the big 20 cameras games, um, you know, with your back cam and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, you know, when you're watching Sky and you see them put the virtual reality on of what an assistant would see and you think, oh, wow, there's not, there's not anything that gets missed nowadays. And I think that's, from our point of view as referees, we are scrutinised even more. Like I said, with that evaluation system, that's come a long way. It used to be, like you say, an evaluator in the stands used to sit and watch, um, you know, watch the game and kind of mark it as they go and give you a score at the end of it. Um, but now every decision is analysed. I don't think there's any other job in the world where you get assessed on every decision you make in a game. But I think, so that's increased a lot. But I think that comes with the, the better camera footage as well. So, Yeah. Everything. Constantly adapting, constantly yeah. changing. Yeah. You've got to stay on top of it. Well, Sean, you definitely get five points. That was a brilliant answer for all that. So you're off the mark, which is great. Um, have you ever had an absolute nightmare, like just day at work? Have you ever rocked up anywhere, like even to the point where you're like, I haven't bought my boots. Like, yes. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I definitely did that once. Thank God it was a youth um, game in Coventry. Um, I remember getting there, getting all my kit out, getting in the change room and being like, oh my goodness, I forgot my boots. There's a moment, um, isn't it, where you're like, no. And I was like, what do I do? What, what am I actually going to do? We're kicking <laughs> off in 25 minutes and I've got no football boots. <laughs> um, and I went, went up, dad has been with me at every step of the way. My dad has been to pretty much every game, my biggest supporter, biggest critic, but biggest supporter. So I went outside to him and I was like, dad, I haven't got my football boots. Sorry, it's all right, just borrow one of the lads' football boots. Maybe he'll have a pair of spare dad I'm a four and a half that's not gonna work you if you can find me a pair of four and a half football boots in two teams look at like dressing rooms you go for it I said it's not gonna happen is it I was like you're gonna have to go all the way home just make it for kickoff so I didn't do a warm-up or anything I definitely check my kit bag nowadays definitely three dads are amazing aren't they dads are just the best for that type of thing um but now also you are married and two also you're keeping it in the family here because yeah. you're also married to a match official. Yes. I mean, when you watch football and you're just at home and perhaps you're not working, can you ever just sit on the couch and watch football? Or do you always look at it and go, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, I'm not sure about that. Like, do you have that type of chat? No, and then we argue over referee decisions when we're watching football. <laughs> it's horrendous. So like, I'll be like, that's offside. And he's like, no, no, it's not. This player, watch let's look at the replay and you know and he'll be like oh okay you were right and then because he's like a referee now and I'm an assistant so we have split up because we're separated on that it's a little bit easier but we both used to referee on conference north and south at the same time so that when the bandits came out of the merit table positions it was like 
who's in front, who's in front, <laughs> who's going to get promoted this year. That kind of, it was a bit competitive, that was. Um, but actually the rest of my family also think that I've ruined football because they can't watch a game now without watching the referees because they so, like know so much about what I say about, or they'll go in this position or they'll do this. Or There's lots of little gestures that no one in outside of refereeing would think about. And it's like, you'll know when they're having a conversation or, you know, because like, I think the outside world will think, oh, the referees get that penalty. And as a, as a referee or an assistant referee, you sat there thinking, I oh, know that's come from the lino. It hasn't come from the referee. You can kind of tell by the process, you know, my brother-in-law will sit there now and he's a big football fan, you know, like he wants to watch every game that's on TV. And he's like, you've ruined it. Cause now, you know, now I'm thinking that should have been a penalty and not anything to do with, you know, what the score is or who's the best player or anything. Yeah, I've ruined football with them apparently. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Um, I love hearing stories like this. Brilliant. What would you say has been your biggest challenge being a female match official? Um, I, I, the fitness really is the biggest thing for me. I have to work really, really hard. And everyone thinks, oh, you know, like you must get loads of grief. But I don't really because I'm so concentrated with my communications, focusing on decisions. You look, what goes on in the background is just a blur. People expect me to say that as a challenge, but I, I don't see it as that. I think fitness for me is a really big thing. I have to work really hard, um, you know, to be as fit as the lads and to be as fit as the players on the pitch, to be as fast as them. You know, if I'm not in the right position to make an offside decision, if I'm not level with the last defender, most times I would get it wrong. So for me, that's like quite a big thing. Coming through, there was the odd challenge, which I find just funny really you know I remember going to I think it might have been supply league ground it's definitely kind of grassroots ish kind of got to the door of the changing rooms into the tunnel area and it's like no ladies past this point and you kind of <laughs> get there and you think well that doesn't apply to me because oh, yeah I'm, that, you know, that doesn't work for me and I'm coming right through. I'm through anyway um you know so there's little challenges like that but I don't really think of them as challenges I think that's just the way things were you know like women weren't allowed in boardrooms back you know years and years ago but then when they've got a match official who they always invite into the boardroom for a cup of tea before a game they kind of then rules have to go out the window so I think that but no one's ever said to me oh no you can't come in here you know like being really forceful yeah. and not let me do I've never had that I know some girls you know might have had that but I've been really lucky. I think I've never, I've never had to have that as a challenge, really. You always make the decisions. I'm sure that you see in front of you, and you have the help in your ears. You're talking to the referees and stuff as well. But if there is a decision that perhaps does turn out to be incorrect, do you dwell on it, or are you oh, yeah. somebody that could just move past? Yeah, definitely. Like after the game, I want to see pictures of it. I want to see videos of it. I want to see why I got it wrong. I. I always want to get everything right on the pitch because I don't ever want a team to win or lose or draw because of my decision. And for me, that's a really big thing. I don't want to have an influence on that game. I, you know, positively, I want to get all my decisions right. I don't want anybody to have been cost a game because of something, that, a decision that I've made. And don't get me wrong, like I do make mistakes, 100% I'm human. Um, wh whether it be, okay, I've come to the right decision, but I've said the wrong thing to get to that decision. Even things like that, I definitely dwell on, especially, I mean, big decisions as well. I think people think, oh, just referees turn up and they don't really care if they get things wrong. We definitely do. You know, yeah. kind of, the only way I can think of it is if, you know, a, a goalkeeper lets one through the palm of his hands. That's the way we feel, I think, when we make a mistake. Yeah, it's never intentional. And you're mm. just like, oh, need to correct that for next time. And yeah. like you say, you go back and you're like, I need to be better. I need to know why. Um, okay, let's move on to our second game. Ooh. This is called The Wrong Answer is Right. Okay. Um, and it's this game is quick thinking. You've got to adapt to your situation. And sometimes you're just plain blagging it. Okay? <laughs> so some of this is relatable to your job in terms of quick thinking and adapting to your situation. Okay. Um, so we're going to do 45 seconds on the clock and all you have to do is answer with an incorrect answer. Okay. 45 seconds on the clock in three, two, one. In which sport did Gary Lineker compete in? Cricket. Which stadium do the Lions or the Lionesses play international fixtures? Port Vale. <laughs> Name a racket sport. Football. How many players are in a five-a-side team? One. What do the letters GK stand for on a football team sheet? Football boots. <laughs> Name an Olympic sport. 
Oh, Go on, anything. Um, TV. How many match officials are assigned to each football game? A hundred. And which sport is played at Wimbledon? Hockey. Yes, time is up. You're very calm under pressure, Sean. Oh, I don't know about that. No, you are. You are. You naturally think of the right answer first and then have exactly. to it out. Exactly. That's why it's so tough. I think yeah. people think, oh, no, that's a really easy game. But you're like, no. no. Um, eight, we're being told by our independent adjudicator, Adam, over here. That's good. Oh. Nice, solid score. You're very calm under pressure, I have to say. <laughs> you think about things very methodically. I could tell. I could tell. Um, well, look, let's move on to encouraging other females into this career path. Because what would you say to somebody who perhaps is quite potentially thought about it but not done it because they're quite intimidated by what they might find and the environment they might find themselves up in how have you found the experience I think they should just give it a go in my experience there was very very few times where I found that I was intimidated and I think you have to be quite a strong character and I think you have to the way I always looked at things were they're not they're not saying things about me they're saying things about my uniform and I kind of think when I'm dressed in my uniform, I'm just a woman or man in black, you know, okay, maybe yellow or red sometimes. But yeah. you know, we're just a person in that uniform. We're not a person inside that as such. And that's kind of the way that I always think about it. I think that when you go onto that football pitch, you can be a different person, really. And you can put on, not a show, but you know, you have to be confident. Um, you have to really try to make them right decisions. And I think that if anyone thinks, oh, I'm a bit worried about kind of getting shouted at actually you don't ever notice it really I think grassroots football you you might notice it a little bit more which is why earlier I said that you need to we need to kind of protect that environment of grassroots football to make sure that everybody's aware that the impact that they have on grassroots football can be you know an impact for somebody you know that may have stopped me at youth football Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't ever feel like I was intimidated that I mean I remember one time one of the dads on the sideline was giving me some grief and I just went over on whistle and I went, if you think you can do a better job, there's the whistle. And he went, no, 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 no. I didn't mean it like that. I said, well, stop now then. And just went off and carried on my, my, my game. Um, and I think probably that took a little bit of strength inside me to kind of go, so a lot of the time you just ignore it and it's a fly off the wall kind of thing. Um, but sometimes you come to a point where you think, no, I'm not ignoring that. I've got to stand up because if somebody's on this pitch next week and they don't take this, that, you know, that could be the the end of a career of somebody who could have made it to the top so I really kind of think to myself that I think I got to protect the image of the game so that others coming through find it a little bit easier and I think that I would just say give it a go because you'll be surprised people have this impression that oh just referees get shouted at all the time but actually they don't they get praised a lot you know I used to love coming off a game um you know especially at youth football or you know your big cup finals and somebody comes to me players even or managers or spectators oh well done ref and that means such a huge amount to somebody and you think yeah I did a good job today and to get into it as you said grassroots is the way to go you started at under 11 sort of Mm -hmm. age just refereeing there are courses now though aren't there that people can sign up for and I suppose that gives you a taste of what it would be like yeah so it's a lot more the the course now you go through your local county association um, local referees association or the FA there's links kind of everywhere for you to get into refereeing and it's really course based so there's and they have lots of mentors now as well so you'll be given a mentor for your first five games who you can talk to who come and watch the games can kind of put you say we do this differently or do this differently but it's a support network mainly more than helping you learn the laws of the game or that kind of thing um and I think that environment now can really help um your youth or young referees and I'm not saying you have to be young to be a referee when you start out because lots of ex-players come start to be referees and you know there is more double jumps now so you can go through the pyramid a little bit quicker than it was when I came through because if somebody's really like showing potential you can take a double jump so I think that having that mentor scheme now that's in place and having the course run the way it is, you get to practice blowing a whistle, holding a flag, the stuff that I never did get to practice really until I was thrown into my first game. And I think there's a lot more support out there than there used to be. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot more opportunities now for women yeah. to get into this. And we briefly mentioned it earlier that your mate, Natalie Aspinall, Aspinall has just been 
promoted yep. into the English Football League. How proud of you? Yeah, How proud really are proud. you that other people are coming through? Yeah, I mean, she's a big friend of mine as well. So we, um, when we first got on the FIFA international list, I was actually too young when I was nominated at first because you have to be 23. We were, I was 21 and we were both nominated at that age to start with onto the FIFA list. Um, and she's kind of always been there. Um, we did my first under 20 Women's World Cup in Japan together. So we spent a month together. So she's a real close friend of mine. And she's worked so hard to get promoted onto the championship. So I'm so pleased, Fran. It just goes to show that like hard work, perseverance can really pay off. And do you think those are the attributes that if you're going into this career path, you've got to say hardworking, be patient, because it does take a long time. It's not something that you're going to go into the, you're not going to start and then be in the Premier League a year later. It's not going to happen. No. Um, and it, it definitely, I would say, enjoy it because do you know what? It's such a big team ethos. Refereeing, the refereeing family, as we call it, is such a big team. And without them, it you know, it, it can be a difficult place. But I think you get so many good friends out of it as well. I've got a little football family that, you know, that come to my daughter's birthday parties that, you know, we go out for weekends away with because... You know, we're just we're just a little family, really. You support each other. And are you excited to have more females in match officiating? Yeah, because do you know what the main reason that I'm loving it is? Because it means everywhere's going to have female changing rooms. <laughs> which is an unbelievable, I know, which is kind of an unbelievable comment to if say. If more of it than just me, it means that they're actually used a lot more. Yeah. So, all right, that's what we're measuring this against now. When they start getting the female changing rooms, we know there's a massive tick box there. Um, Right, Sean, let's finish up with our final game today. Uh, This is just a last opportunity to get some points on the board for you. And the quiz is called, How Well Do You Know Yourself? Oh, no, I've got such a bad memory. I'm going to be awful at this. Let's see how we go. It's against the clock again. So we'll do 45 seconds. Here we go. In three, two, one. One, your first appointment as a professional match official came in the final of which competition? It was a women's competition. Yes, that's the one. What was the location of that game? Uh, When I was an assistant, Notts Forest, or as a referee, it was Coventry City. Uh, I've got the, the location I've got is Derby County. That was the first one that you ever did, the FA Cup final. The women's FA Cup final. Oh, it's fourth Doesn't official. Matter. We'll move. Oh, yeah. As fourth official, that's oh, the one we're okay. talking about. There we go. Uh, your first appointment in the men's game was assistant referee between which two clubs? Hereford Port Vale. Do you remember the score that day? Oh no. It, <laughs> two two. It was. Was it? Um, yeah. Time's up. But we're going to carry on just because this is fun. In <laughs> May 2018, you officiated the women's UEFA Champions League final. Which country was the final held? Ukraine. It was. In 2012, Manchester City right back. Uh, which Manchester City right back did you flag offside to deny a last minute winner against Swansea? However, they didn't see your offside flag and the team celebrated wildly. Do you remember who that was? Uh, Mika Richards. Yes, it was. What date in December 2010 did you make your Premier League debut? Oh, 29th of December oh so close 28th yeah that's impressive though um we haven't even spoken about this at all which needs a big up what year did you receive an MBE oh 2017 yes that's (laughs) incredible um which and where are we up to which Cardiff City player managed to overshoot his run directly into you in May 2011 versus Middlesbrough Kevin McNaughton, is that how you It was indeed. Well yeah, because done. because I had a whiplash for days. Did you? Yeah. It looked painful. <laughs> yeah, you know when you have to put the flag up and carry on with your game and you're like, oh, I can't move my back. Oh, God. It's like being I hit can't... by a car, I think. I was gonna yeah it absolutely clattered into you there um yes well done that was great how many did we end up with were six that's that's pretty good going that's pretty good going but also let's just touch very quickly on your MBE because we've got through this whole podcast without even mentioning it services to football I mean that is phenomenal like how did you feel when you that came through that you were gonna be given that award well I actually thought somebody was having me on because we do play tricks on each other in this football family as I call it and I was like who has done this who has sent me this paperwork from the Queen saying that I'm doing an MBA? 
Like, who is having me on? Um, no. When did you like, start to believe it? My husband was like, no, look, it's got this seal on and it's got this on and look where it's posted from. And I was like, oh, it's real. And it says you can't tell anybody until this date. And I was like, this might be real. You know, and then I spoke to my mum and dad and they're like, oh my God, like it's real. It's like, who would nominate me for an MBE? I'm not worth an MBE. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of always one of them that don't think that what I've done is special. I just think it's, I'll just do my job. Um, so I really kind of didn't feel like I deserved it really. Because it, they're for special people who have done really good things like, you know, helped feed thousands of people and things like that. I mean, I went to, after I was awarded my MBA, we were called to the cabinet office with everybody under the age of, I think it was 35 who had been given an MBA because they wanted to increase the numbers who are, uh, younger to get MBs it tends to be like the older generation and uh, we sat around a round table and all these other like young adults sat there and said oh I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and it got to me and I was like I referee football <laughs> um, <laughs> and you felt like you were like why am I here yeah you know all these people who had saved so many homeless people and taken these foster children and you know like feed their local community and stock knives in you know different um areas of London and you just think Wow. And, I, and it really kind of made me think, do you know what? I've been given this award. Now I need to do something with it. And now I try my best to be a positive role model. I try my best to be, you know, somebody who encourages other people, um, you know, and any opportunity for community work or charity work to get involved in, I really try. Because I think that for me, I've been given this award and now I need to use it. And that's the kind of yeah. way that I've looked on it, really. Yeah, you've definitely got a platform. Well, I can assure you, I mean, this is charity work right now coming on Outside the Box, <laughs> outside the box podcast, so I really do appreciate it. Um, one final sentence that I would like you to finish. I'm just going to say three words, and then if you finish this sentence in as many or as little words as you want, there's no right or wrong answer. I am going to say women in sports are oh, fantastic. Yes, I just love, I mean, just short, short and sweet like that. Yeah. But no, you're right. Women in sport are fantastic. They've overcome a lot. They've They're overcome still- lots of barriers. They probably have to work twice as hard to prove themselves. And, you know, for doing something they should be able to do. Agreed. Absolutely. Well, Sean, you have been incredible today. Insightful. You've got so many brilliant stories that I really appreciate that you've shared with me. Um, you've given a real insight as well. I hope people understand now what is involved in being a match official, a referee, an assistant referee, and the process that happens. And I feel like that will open a lot of people's eyes who perhaps haven't got a clue, but they make judgments very quickly on certain situations. So thank you so much for being with us today. Take care. Enjoy the season. Thank you so much. Sean Massiellis. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Outside the Box with me, Becky Ives. Make sure you subscribe, share far and wide, and please feel free to leave me a review. Let's keep this conversation going though on social media. Just use the hashtag Outside the Box Pod. Next up, we'll be speaking to JJ Robley. But in the meantime, do feel free to get in touch with any comments, questions, anything that I can help you with. You can drop me a shout anytime at Becky underscore Ives underscore on Twitter or at Becky Ives official on Instagram. Thank you so much and I'll catch you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 